the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tabar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. Joshua 6, verses 22 through 25. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out there the woman and all who belong to her, as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the city of the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire, everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers who Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Matthew 1, 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Uh, thanks for coming. Really, really glad that you are here. Uh, welcome those of you at our East service, those of you who are tuning in. Uh, welcome. Uh, you can tell that our stage is set up for the Christmas concerts that have been going on. And before we get started, uh, I just want to uh, give a special thanks to our production team, our worship team here in the sanctuary over in East Hall. They have been working tirelessly at a concert Thursday night, Friday night, two yesterday, and they have one this afternoon, and they were still leading us and helping us worship. So would you join me just in thanking them? Thanks. You guys have done great. All right, uh, we are heading into Christmas, right? I hope you have your Christmas shopping done. One of the things that I love is if I find the perfect gift for someone else. It's, it's better, actually, to find the perfect gift for someone else than to receive the perfect gift. When I find a gift for someone else, I, I get so full of anticipation. It shouldn't surprise me because uh, Jesus is the one who told us that it's it's better to give than to receive. And as a church, as we head into Christmas, we want to give you different opportunities to participate in that formula that Jesus gives us for experiencing real joy. Uh, we have gifts of hope out in the atrium that you're going to hear about at the end of the service. But inside of those boxes are little cards that we call just because cards. And uh, if you are new to our church, one of the things that we do in this time is we take those cards and we try to give some kind of random act of kindness or generosity to a perfect stranger. And then we give them that card in hopes of kind of 
uh, helping them experience joy, but it's also for us to tap in to this thing that Jesus says and calls us to. And then in that card, when we do that, then uh, people have a chance to tell their story, and we get the stories kind of flowing in throughout this season. And if everybody just takes two cards, you just do two random acts of kindness, we will blanket this area with, with several thousand acts of kindness. Uh, here's one that came in this past week. It's from Savannah in uh, Cauga Falls. She said, my husband had been sick for the past few days and requested Chick-fil-A. <laughs> you know, not sure how sick he was. All right. <laughs> I was happy he wanted to eat, so I picked up breakfast. When I went to pay, the cashier told me that my order was paid for. Thank you for making my day. So uh, make somebody's day. And in doing that, participate in this formula that Jesus gave us, all right? Okay, we are looking at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. We're calling this uh, series Hope Surprising. When I was a kid, uh, our church, our family, would always read through the Bible in a year. Our church would hand out a reading schedule on New Year's Eve. It'd be a little card, you opened it up, and it, you know, it, it had these little boxes next to each of the Uh, daily readings. And if you checked all the boxes throughout the year, then you would have completed the entire Bible. I love to check boxes, so I was one of those that read the Bible every year. But whenever I got to Matthew chapter 1, I would just fly through it, right? Partly because I was reading the the old King James back then, and it would be so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat. But mostly because I felt like it was meaningless. I have changed my view But I've changed my view, not just because I'm older and I've learned to read the Bible in a different way. I've changed it because our our culture has a a renewed fascination with genealogy. There are all kinds of things out there. There's myheritage.com. There's uh, 123andMe. There's uh, myancestry.com. And they're popping up. I actually have done two of those tests because I didn't like the results of my first one. (laughs) It's true. You know, I, I grew up uh, with my mom telling me all the time that uh, I had a lot of American Indian blood in me. My great-grandmother was half Cherokee Indian. And then I took those tests. Both of them came out that I was 98.6% European. <laughs> Who knew the Cherokee Nation was in southern Spain, right? <laughs> but it seems like everybody's interested in where they came from, who they came from, And here in Matthew chapter 1, we get the Ancestry.com of Jesus. And when we look at it, there are some surprises that pop out right away. Four women uh, before we get to Jesus' mother. And uh, one of those, uh, Pastor Zach covered last week, Tamar, the first one. Today we're going to look at Rahab. Now you need to know that Jesus is different than you and different than me and that Jesus actually chose his own genealogy. You didn't. I didn't. We, we know that from the prophecies in the Old Testament, that the, the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah, from the line of David. So some of these names that we read in Matthew chapter 1, we expect, but then there are things we don't expect. Like, I, I would expect that Jesus would have been a pure breed, that he would be all Jew, right? But Rahab is the first person who's not a Jew in his genealogy. She's not the last person. 
Next week, we'll talk about Ruth, who was also a Gentile. And Rahab is uh, pulled into this story. And what I want to do with this story in particular is I want to look at the story. I'm going to give you kind of the thumbnail sketch of what happens in Joshua chapter 6. And then I want to connect Rahab's story to your story uh, and to my story. And I'll explain that in a minute. Okay, so here's the story of Rahab. Uh, God has delivered the Israelites out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. He has done it in uh, miraculously, amazingly. He has pulled them out of slavery, and then they begin to struggle to trust him, and they balk at going into the promised land. I mean, God has done something that only God could do, and yet they begin to struggle to trust God to go where he wants them to go and do what he wants them to do. It's ironic, but it's all too human. I mean, if you have been a Christian any length of time, if you have been coming to Christ Community Chapel, you know that Christ has delivered you and that he has done something that only God could do by taking us away from God's judgment and saving us completely and absolutely. And yet there are different times when, if you are like me, we struggle to obey him, to trust him enough to go where he wants us to go and to do what he wants us to do. So here in this church, we're always being challenged by the Bible to to love people in a way that Jesus wants us to love, to forgive people who have hurt us, to give generously, sacrificially, to serve. And if there's something in your head right now that has popped in where you know that you are resisting something that God wants you to do because you're struggling to trust him in that, then this is God's word to you right now. Trust me and do it. Obey him. All right? That's not even part of the sermon. That's extra. That was a bonus right there. <laughs> All right, so uh, the, the people finally decide to obey God. They've, after wandering around in the desert for 40 years, Joshua is now their commander. And the first obstacle uh, to the promised land is a military outpost called Jericho. And so Joshua decides to send in two spies to check out Jericho. And those spies find themselves in an establishment owned by Rahab the prostitute. Hard stop right there. That is not something you would expect, right? If you were writing this story, you would not kind of write in that the way that God delivers his people and gives them their land is these spies end up in the home of a prostitute. It's just not the way you expect it to go. But there they are, right? And Rahab believes that God is doing something, so she helps the spies, and she hides them, and in exchange, they say they will save her. And their plan is that she is to take a cord, like a rope, that's scarlet, and she's going to hang it out of her window, and then everyone in the house uh, will be delivered and saved, right? (laughs) No other questions are asked, no other details, and I would have a lot of questions, but we'll get to that later on. All right, so then the spies go back to Joshua. They tell Joshua about Rahab, and then uh, God gives uh, Joshua the plan, the military plan, 
to conquer Jericho. And it's a unique plan, if you know the story. Because the way that most cities were conquered back then uh, was that they would surround the city, they might starve it out with a siege, or eventually they would build ramparts up to there, they would throw up ladders, they would climb, they would breach the walls, and then they would take over the city. But that's not the plan that God gives Joshua. Instead, what they do is they march around in silence for seven days around the city, which had to be very eerie for the people of Jericho. And then, uh, and that, by the way, if I were Rahab, that would have been one of my, th- one of my temptations when they were marching around silently to think, I'm going to sneak out and take a white flag and go, hey, I'm the one. You know, just avoid all the chaos of battle. She doesn't, right? I, I keep getting ahead. Anyway, so they do that, and then uh, on the seventh day, they all shout, and the walls come a-tumbling down. All right, so uh, then Rahab is saved. One of the many things that I love about God is that he does things in patterns. Like, I need to be told something more than once. Maybe you do too. God accommodates people like us because he's constantly kind of repeating through patterns. If you, uh, if you read Jesus' teachings in the Gospels, he is always using patterns. In John chapter 12, when he's explaining why he's going to die, he uses a pattern. He says, just as a grain of wheat, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. In John chapter 3, when Jesus is explaining how he's going to die, he uses a pattern. And he says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. In Matthew chapter 12, when Jesus is talking about how he will resurrect, he uses the pattern of Jonah. And he says, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth. Right? Patterns. Always patterns. Advent literally means the arrival of someone, right? But it's not just anyone. It's the arrival of Jesus. And Jesus has come to save his people from their sins. Jesus is the great deliverer. And here, right in the genealogy of Jesus, he gives us a pattern for that deliverance with Rahab. So here are my three points where I want to connect Rahab's story to your story and my story. Ready? Deliverance is undeserved. Deliverance is unexpected. And deliverance is dependent on trust. Deliverance is undeserved, it's unexpected, and it's dependent on trust. First, it's undeserved. Okay, these spies go into Jericho, and they could have been harbored by anyone. Right? I mean, God could have chosen anyone to kind of help the spies kind of hide and get away, or he could have had them not needed any help at all. Instead, they end up in the home of Rahab, who's described as a prostitute. That's not the thing that should happen. Right? I mean, if I was going to go to, a, to smuggle Bibles into a country that's very hostile toward Christianity— and I went to do a scouting trip, and I went into that country, and someone, uh, I found somebody who was sympathetic to my mission who would help me. What do you think that person would be like? I mean, you think they would be somebody who had been praying, somebody who had been seeking God, somebody who was at least good. You wouldn't expect it to be a prostitute. 
And yet Rahab, when she is described in Joshua chapter 6 three times, she is never referred to simply as Rahab or Miss Rahab, right? She's always Rahab the prostitute or simply the prostitute. Listen, no little girl grows up dreaming to be a prostitute. That happens through a slow, kind of painful abuse, abandonment, right? Desperation. That's how somebody becomes a prostitute. It's like somebody takes this precious, valuable human being and then removes their value like one bite at a time until there is nothing left. When my uh, daughters were little, when I put them to bed, uh, very often I would do this. I would, if there were five, I would say, hey, honey, listen, if I were to line up all the five-year-old girls in the whole world, and they made a line that stretched from New York City all the way to California, and I got to pick just one, you know what I would do? I would pick you every single time, and their eyes would be wide. You know what I was trying to do? I was trying to just pour in value I was trying to say, you are so precious, right? The exact opposite thing happened with Rahab. I mean, Rahab, at this time in her life, had to feel absolutely without value. If you were to to line up everybody in Jericho, from the one who felt like they were the most valuable, the ones that were the most likely to be delivered and loved by God, to the least likely, Rahab would put herself at the least likely spot if she was in the line at all. Deliverance for Rahab completely undeserved. Deliverance for Rahab was unexpected. Unexpected in at least three ways. First, unexpected, I think, by the Israelites. I mean, I think if, if, uh, if the deliverance of Rahab felt undeserved by Rahab, it was completely unexpected by the nation of Israel. You know how in those contestant shows now, like The Voice or America's Got Talent. When the person finally wins, they, are, they act surprised, and they probably are. But the people around them, like the, second, the people who come in second, third, and fourth, they all go, oh, yeah, we knew you were going to win, right? This is not like that. <laughs> Imagine, all right, so Rahab uh, comes into the camp of Israel, right? It's no secret what she does. Joshua hasn't tried to hide it. Joshua has called her Rahab the prostitute or simply the prostitute. Go in, get the prostitute and her family, bring her here. They come in and if you're part of Israel, what do you do when you find out who she is? You're like, oh, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, we love that profession here, right? <laughs> come on in. Right? That's not what they thought. They were just, it completely surprised and also surprised probably her family. Right, when she started to tell her family, come, if you come to me, we'll be saved. And everyone will be saved because they're going to save me. And I'm sure her family went, you? Really? Right? It was unexpected in the scope of the deliverance. This is my favorite part. Right? Like it's, it's one thing, I think. And what, what I mean is that it, it went far beyond what Rahab anticipated. It's one thing to be delivered from death. Right, to, to have your city be uh, taken over and you get pulled out so that you live. It's another thing to get married, to have a son. Her, her, the son that she had was named Boaz. 
You'll hear about this next week. Boaz becomes one of the most respected and honored people in the entire Israelite community. Right? Boaz becomes the father of a man named Obed. Obed becomes the father of a man named Jesse. Jesse becomes the father of a man named David, who becomes the greatest king that Israel ever knows until they get Jesus. Right? Can you imagine? Like Rahab, in her wildest dreams, probably thought, I will never get married. I'm getting pulled out of me, put in this community. They know I'm a prostitute. I'm not one of them. But then she gets married, she has a baby, that baby has a baby, that baby has a baby. You know, uh, everybody who does Ancestry.com, myself included, uh, would love to be able to trace our, my heritage back to a king. Right? That's what we all hope for. That didn't happen to me. No matter how many times you do it, it's not going to happen if it doesn't happen. Right? But with Rahab... Right, every Jew after King David would trace the lineage back and they would say, I, I came from David, who came from Jesse, who came from Obed, who came from Boaz, who was the son of Rahab. In fact, by the time you get to Matthew chapter 1, she's no longer referred to as Rahab the prostitute. She's just Rahab, the mother of Boaz. Right? Her entire lineage redeemed, and she never thought it would happen completely unexpected. Finally, it's unexpected in the way that it happens. Like, when, when she is waiting for the spies, I mean, I think she thinks I hung the cord out the window because they're going to put a ladder up and they'll take us out of the window. That's what she's thinking. But that's not the way the deliverance comes because what God's plan was, the walls come down and somehow they still found her and they took her out, right? It was not the way she thought it was going to happen. And that brings me to that third point, which is that deliverance is dependent on trust. Rahab had to trust them. And that's where, you know, when I read the story, I just think it's amazing that she trusts these guys, right? That the whole plan was that, you know, she puts this rope out the window that's red and that's it. Good. We're good, right? If you were Rahab, I mean, if I was Rahab, maybe, maybe you wouldn't ask a lot of questions. I would have a lot of questions. I'd be saying, okay, how's it going to work? Just, just the cord. That's all you need, right? So I have people, when, when, when do I gather people here? Uh, should I put something on the outside of my door? Should we all wear red? What, is everybody in the army going to know? Who, do you need my cell phone number? Anything, right? She doesn't. She just trusts them. They have promised her. And she trusts they will do what they promised to do. All right. Patterns. God does stuff in patterns. So then we have in this genealogy of Jesus, who is the great deliverer, this pattern of deliverance, and where Rahab's pattern becomes your pattern, becomes my, my pattern. And if it does, then deliverance is, first of all, undeserved. This is pretty straightforward. If you think you deserve Jesus, you will never get him, right? I mean, it's just not the way. It were one of the hardest and most amazing things about Christianity is that it works by grace, just grace. And grace is, is um, well, 
Grace is like the opposite of pride. Like you can't have pride and grace. Like they don't go together in the same person at the same time. And the problem is that pride is very sticky. It's sticky to your soul. It sticks. It, it's, it's like if you ever use that two-sided tape to try to do anything, it's the worst stuff in the world. Like it, it sticks to, you know, to your fingers and it sticks to your other hand and you have to pull it off. That's pride. Grace is very slippery. Grace is like something covered with oil, so you have to always be grasping it, right? And I say that, and the way you know that grace is slippery is if you ever find yourself looking down on people, and I'm not saying that you look down on homeless people. I'm saying you look down on people who don't have your same political views. You look down on people who are not as good as you. Just, you just find yourself competing and trying to win in just the comparison game. If you uh, get frustrated with God with the way that your life is going, I just want you to know grace is slipping, right? Listen, the way grace works, that if we were to line up everybody in this church from the, the person who would be the most deserving of God's love, of God's grace, of Jesus' deliverance, to the very least deserving of God's love and God's grace and Jesus' deliverance. And I got to place myself in that line. I should place myself as far, I mean, a mile away from wherever the last person places themselves. Right? That's what the Bible, that's why the Bible says think of others as being better than you. Right? Grace, deliverance is undeserved. It's also unexpected. It's probably unexpected by the people around you. I went to my 20th year high school reunion. And uh, when I went there, I found some guys that had become Christians in the last 20 years. And I remember looking at them and going, I never saw that coming, right? No way. If you're the first person to become a Christian in your family, you know what that feels like. That there are people who said, I never saw that coming with you. It's unexpected in its scope, Right? It's more wonderful than you could have dreamed. You know, when I was a kid, I thought that coming to Jesus mostly meant avoiding hell and going to heaven. And now I know that Jesus is the secret of being loved, the secret of being filled with hope, the secret of joy, the secret of contentment, the secret of every single good thing that I really want to fill my life is found in Jesus. His deliverance is way, way more wonderful than I first thought. And then it's unexpected in the way that it comes. Like no one ever thought the Messiah was going to be crucified. And when Jesus was crucified, no one thought he would resurrect. Whenever I'm talking to somebody who is not yet a follower of Jesus, not yet a Christian who struggles with the Bible or whatever... I try to get them to the death and resurrection of Jesus because that's the cornerstone. That is the surprise. That is the thing that makes Christianity different than all other religions by a long shot. And I try to say, if, if this happened, don't you see? If you, can, if you can understand the unexpected way that God decided to save you, then you're just this close. And that would bring me to my last point that deliverance always is dependent on trust. 
Rahab had to fight the urge to participate in saving herself. I think, I mean, as, as she sat there and she heard the sounds of battle all around her and all that chaos, she just had to stay tight, right? And I would, I would fight the urge to run out to try to get somebody's attention to try to somehow save myself. She didn't. She trusted. She trusted that the ones who made the promise were able to do what they promised her they would do. That's the same with us. We have to fight the urge to save ourselves, to somehow make ourselves more worthy. Jesus says, if you will just stay tight, I will save you utterly and completely if you trust me to do what I promise I will do. The pattern of deliverance weaved into the very ancestry.com of Jesus And the fact that Rahab is in this line, this genealogy, means that there is no one who is so far away from God. No one you know, no one in your family, not even you, that is so far away from God that God cannot deliver them through this Savior named Jesus. And you know how I know? Rahab. Rahab. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, uh, we come to you, and you really are a wonderful Savior. And I am, uh, I am just struck, even in this story. The way you choose, the people you choose, why you would have Rahab right in the middle of this, all that you did in Rahab's life that she never, ever dreamed of. And you're trying to let us know that you are more, a more wonderful Savior than we have than we have ever thought. Thank you for saving us who are undeserving and doing it in a way that we never expected. Thanks for being our Jesus. And we pray this in your name.